Hello and welcome to the GTI News Brief. It's Wednesday, July 28th, and here are a few of the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance this week. The US government has signalled that banks face extra scrutiny over supply chains that include forced labour in the Chinese province of Xinjiang. An updated business advisory published by multiple US government departments on July 13th dedicates much greater attention to the role of banks and other financial institutions than a previous advisory on the same subject published a year ago. Attention has been growing in the past year on supply chains which pass through Xinjiang or use Uyghur labour, particularly in textiles, cotton and solar. In other news, Australia's banks have defended their decision to exit the thermal coal sector, pushing back against suggestions from government lawmakers that they may be forced to extend financing to fossil fuels. The country's top four banks, ANZ, Commonwealth Bank, National Australia Bank and Westpac, have all vowed to exit the sector by 2030, in expectation of ever tighter regulation of emissions-intensive power sources. The decision has angered lawmakers in the ruling Conservative coalition, many of whom represent communities where coal mines and their supply chains are major employers. The US government's decision to lift sanctions on liquefied petroleum gas exports to Venezuela should be seen as a humanitarian gesture rather than a wholesale shift in trade relations, experts suggest. The US Treasury Department issued a general license this month, relaxing certain Trump-era restrictions on Venezuelan trade. Under the license, exports of LPG are permitted to companies linked to the Venezuelan government or owned by state oil company Petroleus de Venezuela. But with payment in kind with petroleum products remaining forbidden, there are questions over how transformative the relaxation will be in reality. Now we take a look at a major story from last week. It's universally acknowledged that COVID-19 has been the biggest catalyst for digitalisation that global trade has ever seen. The surge of innovation that has come about as a result means that there are now digital solutions to almost every conceivable problem within global trade and supply chains. However, the hallowed end state of critical mass, whereby all participants along the chain are connected to each other and can enjoy paperless end-to-end processes, remains as far away as it has ever been. Earlier, I spoke to senior reporter Eleanor Ragg, who wrote a deep-dive analysis last week, looking at why trade innovation risks being stranded on digital islands. Okay, so the term digital islands is probably the best way we have of describing where we're at today with the digitalization of trade and trade finance. As we know, the pandemic's been the biggest catalyst for digital that global trade has ever seen. And around the world, numerous players, largely fintechs, but also increasingly governments now, have been coming up with new technologies to solve for various issues. But because this hasn't been done and can't be done as part of an overarching global strategy, this has resulted in this kind of proliferation of different platforms, right, or digital islands. So they operate well on their own, but they all operate independently of one another. And because of this, the benefits of this new technology are not being shared across the whole industry. It's this sort of siloization, if you like, which is probably another made up word, um, of trade digitalization. Now, 
arguably this is a natural part of the technology development cycle, right? You solve for the issue in front of your face first, and then you think about scaling up later. But what's fast becoming apparent is that despite years of work now, we seem to be no closer to reaching this end state of critical mass where everyone's connected to each other and can enjoy these sort of paperless end-to-end -end processes. In fact, you know, we're seeing more digital islands spring up. And um, while the reasons for this are pretty complex, they can be boiled down to legislation and standardisation. And Eleanor, digging deeper into the legislative hurdles, what issues are there? Well, on the legislation front, it's still the case, as we know, that many digital trade tools are not legally valid in most jurisdictions. And that hampers the scalability of many solutions because something that works in, say, Singapore, for example, isn't valid in Bangladesh. So to fix this, um, as we know, numerous international bodies have called for governments to adopt the United Nations Commission on International Trade Law, or UNCTRALS, Model Law on Electronic Transfer Records, the Maletta. And that will enable this legal use of things like, you know, electronic transferable documents, so bills of lading, promissory notes, warehouse receipts, and that'll be both domestically and across borders. And this progress on this front, you know, we've seen Bahrain, we've seen Singapore, the UK, this progress there, and there's the recent G7 um, Digital Minister's Declaration. Um, but obviously, even if we do solve for the legal side, that doesn't quite get us all the way there. Um, in the article, I spoke to Sam Matthews of Standard Chartered, and he brought up a really, really valid point, which is that you still need a common language and a common handshake for data and, and title to pass between these different ecosystems. And that's where standards come in. Why is progress being stunted on the standards front then? given what you refer to in your article as the industry's embarrassment of riches. Well, an unbelievable amount of work has been done lately to create standards for trade digitalization, And we do have this embarrassment of riches now of all of these different standards. We saw the Digital Container Shipping Association, the DCSA, they came out with um, recently standards for the electronic bill of lading. There's um, also a group called Oasis and they've developed a universal business language, which has been around for a very long time. And that lays out standard formats for documents like invoices and purchase orders. And um, there's also the work that's been carried out by the ICC's Trade Finance Digitalization Working Group. They've developed a catalogue of trade finance APIs. So you know, these are just three examples, but there are tens, possibly hundreds of these sort of consensus driven, agreed upon ways for trade and trade finance data to be structured in such a way that anyone can consume it and anyone can sort of pass it to each other. The problem is, is that adoption of these set ways of doing things remains low. So we have to open the different systems up so that they can talk to each other. And that does mean having everyone agree on what form fields make up, say, an electronic bill of lading or what format data is delivered in. And Eleanor, would this then solve for the interoperability issue? You'd think, but not quite, um, because platforms that make use of these new technologies, so such as blockchain, for example, Often they can't connect to each other or they can't integrate with banks' existing systems. It's an infrastructure issue. And um, industry participants that I spoke to for the article are calling for almost digital highways to be built so that everyone can connect to each other. 
And work's being done, you know, SWIFT's working on this. It's got its API platform. The ICC is also working on this through its Digital Standards Initiative, the DSI. They're developing sort of ways of connecting all the different blockchain-based networks and technology platforms that have surfaced in the trade space over the past few years. But the issue is still that not all solution providers are thinking on a global scale when they develop technology for trade. They're not taking into account the interoperability, the standards. And unless everybody adopts a more collaborative approach when they design and develop and implement solutions, this huge boost to digitalization that we saw because of the pandemic runs the risk of becoming a wasted opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon. The music used for this episode was provided by Kevin McLeod with his track Loopster, as well as South London Hi-Fi with their track Sunrise Drive. Thanks for listening.